This is Real Estate Rookie Show number 71. Things are not going to be as bad as you typically make them out to be in your head. After I got that tenant in there, because I did fortunately screen properly with that particular tenant, I was like, hey, you know what? This is nearly not as bad as a lot of people try to make it out to be. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Tony Robinson, and we just met in person for the first time. Which is so crazy. And if you guys don't know, Ashley's actually like six foot four in person. <laughs> she just looks a little petite in camera. <laughs> I'm pretty sure most people listening have seen our Instagram content of us hanging out and our Instagram reels and our TikToks. I feel like Probably 70% of the time we spent together was creating um, reels, Instagram reels and TikToks. <laughs> yeah, so big shout out to to Nikki from the Bigger Pocket social media team, but also big shout out to my wife, yes. Sarah, because she was like the, 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 the standby creative director for a lot of that stuff. So you did a good job, wifey. Yeah, yeah. So it was a lot of fun. We went to the Bigger Pockets headquarters. We got to le- meet a lot of the Bigger Pockets team. We got to meet Tyler Madden, who was a guest uh, a couple weeks ago on the show. So we really had a nice time uh, in Denver. Yeah, and Ash and I had long, deep conversations about life as well, right? Getting to know each other. I, I know all of Ashley's like dark, deep secrets now. So if you guys want to know, just let me know. I'll, I'll sell it to TMZ, Ashley, maybe if uh, if I get a good enough deal. Well, you know, what's really funny is like when we were doing photos, we were doing, they were taking pictures of us and doing headshots. And like the one time, I don't remember who was taking your picture, but they were like, oh, I think it was Zach who's on the YouTube team for uh, Bigger Pockets. And he's like, okay, now look into each other's eyes. And then when I count to three, turn towards <laughs> yeah. the camera. <laughs> and I couldn't stare into his eyes without laughing. Like this is an engagement photo shoot. And the whole time, Tony's <laughs> wife is like, you know, coaching us like okay do this do that do that okay you guys look great <laughs> she was our hype girl yeah the whole weekend okay well besides reminiscing on our trip well we got a good guest today right yeah let's talk about our guest so we have martin neal today on the show uh tony tell us a little bit about martin yeah, so Martin, he's a police officer in a Chicago area, and he's got 16 units, um, and I think he got most of those in a span of like three years. And he shared a lot in this episode about how he's uh, leveraging lines of credit to really build his portfolio, how he's buying from auctions, Section 8, just lots of really good strategies that I think people can use to to invest in lower price points because he's buying properties, you know, kind of like what you're, you're able to pick them up for him in the Buffalo area and just ways to get started quickly, I think. Martin really gives a lot of great advice. And of course, I, you know, ask about what I'm personally interested in on every show. So we talk about auctions and basically tells you step by step what the process is like when using auction.com, which he has used in the Chicago market. But I mean, that's a, a nationwide website where you can get properties all over the U.S. Um, using that website. So make sure you guys listen to that part if you're interested in finding another deal source and want to learn more about the online auctions. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent to retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? 
Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Martin, welcome to the podcast, brother. Super excited to have you on. Thank you guys so very much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. So you've got a really cool story. I'm, I was looking through the, the notes that the producers put together for us. So excited to dive in. Uh, but before we start talking about real estate investing, Martin, let's just hear about you. Who is Martin as a person and what kind of initially piqued your interest in real estate investing? So me personally, I went to school for law enforcement and justice administration, which is just a fancy way of saying I went to school to be a police officer, been a police officer for 12 years now, love doing just uh, spending time with the family and playing chess and, and a variety of other activities, physical activities, working out, things of that nature. During that 12 years, uh, being a police officer, I bought my first condo in 2011 and, you know, kind of got bit by the real estate bug uh, several years thereafter and just kind of hit the ground running recently. Now, was that first condo an investment property? Or was that just your primary residence? It was my primary residence. Got it. So what was it about that first condo purchase for your primary that made you think real estate investing might be the path you want to go down? Uh, to be completely honest with you, my family really had to strong arm me into it because it's like, hey, you know, real estate's on sale right now after the crash of, you know, 2007, 2008. You know, you're just seeing so much property just available. And it was like, hey, you, you know, if you ever was going to buy, now's the time to buy because it's, it's not going to get too much cheaper than it is right now. So, uh, you know, some good convincing by them, I was able to finally say, all right, you know what, let me find my own spot and let me let me just get into it. And, and we'll go from there and see see how, see I like how it turns things. out. <laughs> exactly. that, that's so cool, Martin, because I think what Ash and I usually hear on this podcast is the opposite, right? Where like the family members are saying, you know, no, don't buy, you know, or the, the market is the crash is coming, you know, you should wait it out. So lucky for you that you had a family that kind of thought the opposite and said, okay, now it's the time for you to finally get started in investing. Did you have someone else in your family that was actively investing or were they just kind of encouraging you to do so? Uh, my father, he he had been buying properties uh, all when I was a younger child in my, my early teens. So he had been buying properties. Uh, he convinced uh, my older brother to buy a property as well. So they had kind of had one or two properties, nothing crazy, nothing as as many properties as I have now. But, you know, that's kind of where they were with their real estate journey. You know, they was like, hey, I'm going to buy a property here and we'll see how it goes. Or I'm just going to have a, an extra one to supplement my income and and we'll see how it goes from there is was always their mindset. Martin, before we really dive into everything, can you just tell us what your portfolio looks like now? Yeah, absolutely. So my portfolio consists of 11 properties totaling 16 doors. I have a six unit building. I have a one condo, the original condo that I started with. I have eight townhouses and I have one house. How long did it take you to accumulate that? So I, I picked up the most of them, obviously, with the exception of the condo. I picked up the vast majority of them in the last three years. So 20 of June of 2018 is when I got my first intentional investment property, what I like to call it. And from there, you know, it's just one after another after another. That's that's amazing growth. Congratulations. So oh, thank you. Appreciate let's start it. there with, OK, you buy the first property. What how did you scale? What was major factors you think that helped you scale so quickly? 
uh, I think just really defining my plan, what it was that I wanted to accomplish in real estate and, and then just being brave enough to take the action and go for it. Cause like I said, with the condo, I, I really became an accidental landlord with that particular property. And from there I was able to see, cause I wasn't spending any of the money that the tenant gave as rent. I just put it all in a bank account. And if a repair came up, I used that money and I just let it sit there. And, you know, after seeing that money grow in a bank account, I was like, Hey, you know, it could be something to this. You know, if I had 10 more of these properties, I wouldn't have to work at all. <laughs> so, so Martin, you mentioned being brave enough to get those next purchases. And I, I'm like, what a beautiful thing for you to say, or like, what a unique way to kind of phrase that, because a lot of times it's not a lack of capital or a lack of ability that holds people back. It's that it's that fear or kind of that lack of bravery, like you said. What what do you feel you did, Martin, to help like mentally prepare yourself to be courageous or brave enough to actually dive into buying, you know, a six unit in all these townhouses and condos? I think what helped for me best was me being fearful of being a landlord, hearing the horror stories about all the things that could go wrong, thinking about, oh, you know, what if a tenant calls in the middle of the night with a leaky toilet or, you know, what if they can't afford to pay or what if I have to do an eviction, kind of being forced into you know, this situation that I didn't initially want to be in and then realizing, you know, things are not going to be as bad as you typically make them out to be in your head. You know, fears, you know, false evidence appearing real. And, and that's a lot of what it really was. And I'm like, after I got that tenant in there, because I did fortunately screen properly with that particular tenant, I was like, hey, you know what? This is nearly not as bad as a lot of people try to make it out to be. So I'm like, you know what? You, you can do this. You have to believe in yourself. You have to have that mindset of, feeding yourself positivity all the time. And when you feed yourself positivity and optimism, good things can happen. And, and that's really where it came from. It's like, hey, you know what? Don't believe in the naysayers. Feed yourself the right mindset and, and you can accomplish the goals that you're trying to accomplish. That's really great advice. I, I love that because a lot of real estate is mindset because there's going to be really hard days and there's going to be really great days and you just have to keep riding the roller coaster. So Martin, yes. uh, when someone accumulates so many properties, I think a common question right off the bat is how? How are you financing these properties? So again, it comes back to that condo that I bought in 2011. Uh, again, I bought that condo just to go into the numbers a little bit for $46,000. It was a 10% conventional loan. And so I put down the 10% and my mortgage and principal interest tax and insurance and homeowner association was about 850 bucks, roughly rounding up. And from there, I, I really was just kind of living paycheck to paycheck because at the time when I had my police job, I wasn't making a whole lot of money. But then I left one police department for another in which my income essentially doubled. And I was already used to living on a fixed salary. So from there, I just took that money and said, hey, I don't really need this money. Let me just pay off my condo. And I paid off that condo. The condo appreciated. It tripled in value uh, over, you know, until I bought that first townhouse. And I was able to get a home equity line of credit on that property and use it to invest and buy all the other properties that I have today. So you didn't increase your lifestyle when your salary increased. Instead, you used that extra money and basically invested it because you're you're saving yourself by paying off your mortgage early. So that that's really awesome that you did that. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And then that has to be kind of a mindset shift, too. So how old were you at that time? Uh, at that time, uh well, 2011. Oh, sorry. I'm aging myself. I was 25. <laughs> yeah, so 24, 25. Think about all the other things you could want. You have your first really high paying job. You could have gone out and bought a brand new car. You could have went and bought a big, big house. So can you talk about the mindset of that? Of You know, were there books that you read or was it your parents? What kind of gave you that that money advice to, to do it that way? For me personally, I grew up poor, to be completely honest with you. I grew up in some some of the worst neighborhoods in Chicago, and I've always kind of had this mindset of watching people spend money that they couldn't afford to spend and, and to live a lifestyle that they couldn't afford to live. And I, I remember being a child and I owed my brother five dollars. And I finally got my allowance at $10 and then I had to give them back five. And I was like, that's the worst feeling on the face of the earth. The, I think I got $10 and then I had to turn around and give somebody that I owe $5. And so I just always had this frugal mindset of, you know, only spending what you actually have in your pocket. And don't borrow if you don't need to. And, and so that's really where my mindset came from, of, you know, those around me who lived outside their means and they really couldn't afford it. And I was like, you know what, I, I'm learning lessons every day that. 
you know, debt is a bad thing in certain regard. Isn't it funny looking back on your childhood and like realizing little tiny life events that occurred that actually like you look back and like, wow, that set me on the path to this. Like that made up my mind about something or, you know, even like having a, a little lemonade stand or something, even if you weren't learn one little thing about managing money, it's just, it's funny how much of an impact your childhood can have in these little tiny events or occurrences that happen during it. Um, can really help you yes. be lessons along the way and help you as as an adult. Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely say those things throughout my life shaped me, especially, you know, just every little thing that we do. I think there can be a lesson from it. Uh, even me personally, when I played sports in high school, I, I really found myself realizing that, you know, I, I'm playing a sport here, but I'm really learning a lot by life. I'm really learning a whole lot about life. You know, these are life lessons. And that's one thing that I always tell my son religiously is I'm like, hey, we may be playing a game here, but I want to let you know I'm really teaching you about life. That I got to I got to jump in there, too. Right. So my son, he's playing basketball right now, too. And we've been investing a lot of time and energy into like his training and things like that. And that's that's literally Martin, what I always tell him. I was like, you know, like the lessons that I'm teaching you right now, son, like it's about basketball, but it's really about life. Right. Like the lessons that you learn in sports and things like that, they translate to every other area of your life, man. So I, I love that you're you're kind of also preaching that as well. Sorry, not real estate related at all, but like the mindset thing, I feel like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just mindset, because I think I feel like it's more mindset to be successful in real estate than it is actual to more so the physical execution. Because, I mean, I, I think mindset hold people back substantially from accomplishing the vast majority of the goals and dreams that, they're, that they want out of life. And if you have the right mindset, I think you can really achieve anything. And, and I think you're already kind of giving people, Martin, uh, a playbook on how they start building that right mindset, right? Like, first and foremost is having your personal finances in order. Ashley, you preach this all the time as well, right? Having a strong financial foundation to start from. Second is uh, making sure that you're investing the right way. You know, you bought something, you paid it off quickly, and then you were smart enough to say, let me get a line of credit to then use that to expand my portfolio. So there's a lot of, I think, actionable things you know i'm just kind of recapping this for the listeners that you've already said martin you know what 10 minutes in they can really change people's lives if they apply those two simple uh like like theories that you've got yes absolutely it's funny because <laughs> i was sitting in the dentist chair uh yesterday uh and again me just feeling like i'm always the youngest guy in the room realizing i'm no longer the youngest guy in the room and the dentist is literally asking me like oh what do you do for a living i'm like oh i'm a police officer you know i do real estate investing and when i told her about real estate investing she her ears just poked up and i literally felt like the whole time in the dentist chair i'm just telling her about real estate and how she should invest her money and what passive income and freedom can do for you and she was literally hanging on every word and i had finally asked i was like how old are you she's like oh i'm 25 and i'm like oh my god i never felt so old in my life (laughs) (laughs) yeah well you know i i love the advice that you're giving to people and like as someone who's like a podcast host in the real estate space like I talk real estate to everybody all the time. My wife has to like nudge me to say like, can we just like not talk about real estate for a night? Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I want to go back, Martin, to to your, your point about how you funded those next deals, right? Because you said that you paid off your first property. You then got a line of credit that you used to purchase your next property. So I guess give us a little bit more insight into how you were doing that. Were you were you then using that line of credit to pay cash? You'd fix them up and then and then pay off that line of credit with permanent financing. Or what was your strategy that you actually used? Yes, uh, that's exactly what I did. I just used the bird strategy uh, literally for all of my properties, with the exception of one, uh, which is the six unit. I, I did the bird strategy. So I would buy them for low. I would rehab uh, for on average rehab budget about twenty five thousand. And I would just uh, rent it out, refi and, and do it over and over again. Now, were you managing these rehabs yourself or or were you hiring these out to people? How were you managing that aspect of it? So my father, he, he became a big helping hand for me because uh, he's a he, he's a jack of all trades. And he, he agreed to essentially be my project manager on every project. And I paid him a, a, essentially a flat rate fee for managing the project. And he would handle the day to day operations and the day to day operation would consist of once we buy the property, we would put a lockbox on it. We would put the Simply Safe alarm on it and we would have contractors come through, give us bids. Uh, he would either meet them in person or if it was someone that we trusted and we couldn't meet them in person, then we would give them the lockbox code, tell them to go in, take a look, let us know what the numbers were. 
And from there, he would just manage the day-to-day activities and help him picking up supplies and making runs to the store for me and making sure that the contractors were doing what they're supposed to do and needed what they needed in terms of materials. How did you guys track this? So your dad's doing part of the work. You're still kind of involved. Uh, Are you guys using any kind of tracking system or software or just texting each other to communicate and to manage these contractors just so you guys stay on the same page? I literally was on the phone with him like every day, (laughs) (laughs) like literally text messages, phone calls, emails. Um, Whenever it came to materials, I actually had a got a business credit card and I put him as an authorized user. And so, again, I trust my father like I trust no one else. So. Uh, he was able to go to stores, buy materials, and every day, uh, as you like to say, Ashley, I was a freak in the spreadsheets <laughs> documenting every single last thing, every dollar that we were spending, you know. So I, I promise you, I just got all types of spreadsheets uh, to, that track everything that we do. Do you guys have any other processes or what are you? what does it look like when you hire a contractor? Are you guys actually doing contracts with them? Is it more of a handshake? Is it word of mouth? What does that look like? So typically we try to do actual physical contracts only a couple of times or contractors we've gotten really familiar with where we wouldn't do contracts. But for the most part, I I go above and beyond and make sure because there's nothing like an understanding. And I think the biggest breakdown typically occurs when you don't have something in writing. So I would literally uh, go out and find a contract online. Uh, I would look at the bigger pockets um, files or the forms uh, section, and I would go through there and look at other people's contract and I'll see things that they might've had in theirs and I'll incorporate it or I'll just quite frankly plagiarize it <laughs> and then add my own little things to it and say, all right, this is what I'm going to do for the painters. This is what I'm going to do for the electrician, yada, yada, yada. That's why I love bigger pockets. And there's a million other resources too, just by Googling that you can get and, you know, plagiarize other people's contracts. But that's why they put them out online is so that other people can use them. You don't have to recreate the wheel. And it's going to be very hard to find a a contract that is specific and will work perfectly for you. There's going to have to be things that you change. But like you said, you just continue to add to it or change it and develop it, especially as your business grows. It's not going to it's probably not going to stay the same forever. You're going to start to add more things to it or understand things that are more important, like especially if something goes wrong. Okay, well, next time that's not going to happen. Let's add that into our contract. So for anybody that is you know, starting to work with contractors, what would be some advice you can give them as to what they definitely need to put into their contract? Uh, So first and foremost, when dealing with contractors, I specifically always like to put a timeline in there. It's like, I'll ask them specifically, how much time is it going to get you, uh, take you to get this done? And then I always add an extra week on top of it. So let's say, for example, I'm dealing with the electrician. Electrician says, oh, it's going to take two weeks to do this job. All right. Realistically, I'm thinking three weeks. All right. So we have an agreement that you're saying two weeks. I'm going to also put a clause in here that says if you're not done by the end of two weeks, we need to reconvene. We need to have a conversation and figure out how much longer it's going to take you. I'm going to if you're not picking up materials, you don't get any money up front. It's just that simple. You don't need any money up front if you haven't done any work. It's one thing if you got to pick up materials. Um, so I also have it in there where we structure how the payments are going to be paid out. So a payment system, uh, if you finish 25%, you get this much. If you finish 50, uh, 50%, 75%, and upon completion, this is how much you get. And you really just want to make sure that if you are giving them money up front, because they do have to hold, uh, they have to pay for materials, that you always hold something back at the end to incentivize them to finish the job. Because once you give them all the money, they have no incentive, uh, incentivization whatsoever to come back and finish up the work. And that's happened to me time and time again, dealing with contractors. How are you finding the good contractors, Martin? Like if I'm a newbie investor, where should I be looking to to find someone that I can trust to, to do the, the high quality work that you've had done? Uh, to be completely honest with you, it, it, you, I really get a lot of good referrals from word of mouth. So other investors who say, oh, I've used this painter or I've used this electrician. I'm, a, I'm in Facebook groups uh, where I can vet out some of the contractors, some of the painters, some of, you know, some of the handyman who's done jobs. Um, so I can see some of their work. I could talk to some of their past clients because they'll say, hey, I just did this job for such and such. Or the client will go on there and say, I want to thank such and such so much for helping me do this. They did a great, fantastic job. And I can go back to them like, hey, you know, tell me about how this contractor was on this job. Right? I'm thinking about hiring them for this. And so I think word of mouth really is the biggest way. But I think just being in the job, you have to understand that 
you're going to have to deal with some bad contractors. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But when you find the good ones, you do your best to hold on to them, treat them right. Yeah. Now, now trust is super important in uh, your real estate investing career, right? Finding people that yes. you trust. Now, obviously you trust your dad, right? And, and you've done yes. a lot of work with him. But a lot of people also, I think, are hesitant about partnering with family. But it seems like you found a way to really make it work. So, um, you know, some people swear against partnerships and partnering with people that they know. Other people say that's the only way that I do business. What makes you feel that that's the right path for for you? I would agree that sometimes, you know, it's hard to work with family. I could tell you about the arguments that I've had with my father. I could tell you about, you know, partnering with my brothers and my sisters on deals. So it, it definitely can be a challenge. But no matter if you're working with a stranger or you're working with a friend, I think the one thing that we did is before we even agreed to go with the first project, we sat down and had multiple conversations like, hey, this is what the expectations are going to be going forward. This is going to be my role. This is going to be your role. If there's ever at some point in time where we miss something and we don't know who responsibility it is, then we're going to talk about it and figure out who responsibility it should be and define those roles. Yeah, I love having that clarity up front because it it removes any sense of ambiguity as you guys start to move through the process. Like if you can say up front, you're going to do this job. Here's what the compensation is for this job. I'm going to do this job. Here's what my piece of the pie is for this job. Then as you guys start kind of moving through the process, there's no surprise or things that can kind of cause some of that friction. Now, I, I guess my last question, Martin, is do you have any advice for people that uh, I guess any additional advice when it comes to specifically working with family, like you said, kind of lay things out up front, but you said you've had some some heated arguments with your dad as you've gone through that. Like any other advice for people that might want to partner with family? Yeah, like I said, I think specifically you, you have to be able to make it clear no matter what happens with this investment, whether it works out or it doesn't work out, we're still going to be family. So I don't want this to terminate our relationship because this deal went south, you know, or we didn't work well together. And so I think it's really just about that understanding like, hey, we're going to be business partners we're still family. We love you. You know, we can have these conversations. If this deal doesn't work out, I don't want it to be any, uh, you know, sour uh, or hurt feelings between us, you know. So uh, really just, again, communication, like I said, it's nothing like an understanding. So you want to make sure that you over communicate, you know, in, in, in the beginning, in the middle and in the end to make sure that you're on the same page, because that's the key. That's the key communication. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with you, Martin. And just the communication up front, like when you are you know, putting together your agreement of who's doing what, like look further down the road too. So like maybe one day someone doesn't want to manage that property. Well, what happens then? Okay. That was their responsibility. Now they just get out of it and now everybody has to pay a property manager. So looking down the road too is really important. For example, my sister, her, she is house hacking and we own her house 50, 50. Well, what happens when she moves out of the house? Like, do we split the cash flow 50, 50? Is she going to use that cash flow? towards her next property and just all those little different things are so important with any partner, not just family, but you really want to protect those family relationships. It's a lot easier to do one deal with a random partner and say, okay, this didn't work out. And, you know, see you later. And disappear. <laughs> right. Not that Gone in with the do, wind. But, you know, you have to sit across the Thanksgiving day table with your family. But Exactly. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. 
Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A. Biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So um, I, let's really dive into a deal. So I want to hear, you know, the numbers, yeah. the purchase price, everything like that. So do you have a deal in mind that you wanted to talk to us about? Yes, I can tell you about my best deal. We'll just go through a couple quick questions and then you can t- pretty much tell us the story about it. But uh, when did you purchase this? What deal number was it? Uh, so this was actually deal number three for me. And uh, I did this deal with a partner. And what was the purchase price? Uh, the purchase price for this property was just uh, under 30000 So call it twenty nine five. Looks like you're in an area like me where it's twenty to fifty thousand. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. What market was this one in? Uh, again, this is in Chicago, specifically the south side of Chicago. And what did you? What was the plan for this one? A flip, a burr? Uh, it was a burr. And what was uh, the rehab cost on that? Uh, so the rehab cost on this was originally thirty five thousand, but with the holding costs and some other things that popped up, it wound up ballooning to a little bit over thirty seven thousand. Well, I'll save the ARV and what it appraised for and all that for the end of your story. So why don't you go in and just start like how you found your partner, how you found the deal, how you guys financed it? So, yeah, I was really just, you know, telling everyone that I could tell about what I was doing in real estate. And so this partner came along and and they was like, hey, you know what? I see you doing some things in real estate. Would you mind partnering with me on a deal? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, and so they actually went and found the deal because I was telling them, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing townhouses. And it was like, hey, there's a townhouse uh, that's on the MLS, but it's also on the auction. And I was like, all right, well, you know, if you if you organize it and go to the auction, because I actually had to work this day. And make sure you don't pay more than 30000 for it. You know, we'll, we'll be able to make this work because one of the cool things about the, being able to uh, see this property, even though it was on auction, we were able to get access to the inside of it. So we were able to see what type of condition it was in. So we knew, all right, this is this is pretty much our budget here. It's going to be a $35,000 rehab. And so, you know, that, that's what we were able to do with it. And then what did um, how were the responsibilities divvied up? So he went to the auction, but did he do anything else? Did your dad manage this property, the rehab for it? Yep. My dad uh, managed to rehab as well. He went on the auction in terms of the responsibilities. It was really, again, just for the most part, 50 50. I, I was doing the tracking and expenses uh, every once in a while. I would ask him to, you know, do some things. But really, I'm kind of a control freak a little bit. So I really did a good chunk of the work myself. But, you know, they helped out significantly. And we use Google spreadsheets to really track everything. And when I couldn't put something into the document, he would go into the document and and put in information as well. And then, so what happened? You finished the rehab and you refinanced. Let's go through that. The exciting part. So, yeah. So we rehabbed it. Like I said, me personally, when I do rehabs, I, 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 I would like to say that I over rehabbed and under rehab. I just want to make sure that I'm given a great quality product. I, I feel like in the Chicago land market, you hear a lot about slumlords and, and just not getting great quality for the amount of money that tenants are paying rent. And so we go in there and we try not to leave n- no stern on unturned. So we update the kitchens, the bathroom. We refinish the hardwood floors. We repaint the whole house. We replace the mechanicals. We did all those things. And after that, we got to the refi. And well, I guess so I should probably talk about renting it out, too. When we put it on the market, this is how we knew that we had a great product. We literally probably had over 90 calls the first week oh my gosh. Wow! And, and so people just was calling us religiously just like 
hey, is that three bedroom still available? I want it. Just take it off the market. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. That's not how this works. Just slow down. You still got to fill out an application. You got to see it in person, make sure that you really want it. And so, but we wind up finding a great uh, Section 8 tenant and she's been great there. And then we went to do the refinance and the refinance came in. We thought it was going to appraise at 100,000. It came in at 97, which is not a big difference. And we were able to get out every single last dollar out of that. Yeah. So that's a super successful burr, right? That's exactly what you want to happen. And yeah, obviously you guys have done a great job with the rehab. If you had that many people calling uh, in the first week that you had it up. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about that, right? Because you you said that you you built a really nice product, but you also kind of said that you're you're investing in maybe like the the kind of rougher parts of Chicago. So I guess what's your, some people shy away from like low income areas, right? And I think it's because there's this stigma that low income means bad person, but you know, it seems like it's been working well for you. So what was your thought process on investing in, in that market specifically? And why were you not afraid to invest there? Yeah. So specifically when I look at these neighborhoods, I, I'm not necessarily a, investing in a $30,000 house that ARV is going to be a maximum for any house in that area going to be Forty or fifty thousand dollars. If you buy a house, let's say not a townhouse, but an actual physical house on that block, that house on that block could be worth you know one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand. So it's not that much of a low income area. It's just more so. I kind of chose the cheapest product that I could get, but in a decent neighborhood. So I, I would still say it's probably a, a, a B minus C plus type neighborhood, but it's still me just getting any type of box that I can get to put a tenant in. It's like, hey, if I can just get a box and, and decorate it and make it look nice, then, then we're great here. So, you know, th- that's what what's the mindset of like, all right, you know, you're going to get a house quality or you're going to get a really nice product quality in terms of granite countertops and stainless steel appliances. But, y- you know, you're not going to own it, you know, and you're going to be able to say, hey, I live here. I, I enjoy where I live. I respect where I live. And Chicago is, again, just so block to block. So you can go one block and it could be a great neighborhood and you can go to a next next block and it could be not so great neighborhood. And so really just understanding, like, no matter where you are in Chicago, you're always going to find people who want to live in those neighborhoods. So it's it's never really as bad as, as it may sound or it may seem according to public perception. Now, you also mentioned Section 8. And for the listeners that maybe aren't familiar with what Section 8 is, or why maybe it's a good strategy to use. Can you walk us through what it is and why you chose to use it for your uh, for this specific deal? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, again, I think Section 8 is just uh, government housing assistance for people who economically they can't afford it. And there's a lot of stigma around Section 8 about, you know, what type of tenant class you get. But I promise you, uh, they could potentially be one of the best tenants that you ever get. You just have to screen them the same way that you would uh, potentially screen a cash buyer. Just take money out of the equation. And, and when you do that, you know, like I said, you can really get uh, what a lot of people consider guaranteed money. And especially when COVID hit, you know, I was more concerned about my cash tenants than I were with my government assistant tenants because they were the ones who were having problems with the cash tenants because they were getting their hours cut or some was getting laid off. And I'm like, okay, so what we're going to do here, you know, and, but my section eight tenants, you know, when their income went down, the, the government stepped in and said, Hey, we're going to cover your portion of the rent that you need to pay. So now essentially they're carrying my portfolio when I'm worried about, Hey, you know, this person who had their hours cut or got laid off, you know, if, and if, and when are they going to pay rent? All right. So, so the big benefit of section eight is that the government is subsidizing a portion of that tenants and uh, that tenants rent payment. So, you know, say whatever your rent that you charge is a thousand dollars, maybe the government's going to cover 80% of that. So the government is giving you a check every month for $800. So you then only need to, you know, ask the tenant for 200. Yeah. So I have a couple uh, Section 8 tenants I've had over the years and, you know, they don't want to lose their voucher. So they they stay in their place and they they pay their portion because it's usually very minimal. And if there's a you know, they're getting that huge amount. And at least in Buffalo, the waiting list to get Section 8 or any kind of housing support is like three to five years to to wait to actually get a, a housing voucher here. If I'm a landlord and I want to become a Section 8 landlord, is it like a difficult process? Are there a lot of hoops I have to jump through? Um, maybe, Martin, if you want to talk about Chicago first and actually you can share your experience in, in New York. Uh, so, yes, yeah, it's not a difficult process at all. You just again, you just have to be committed to doing the things and providing the product that Section 8 comes to expect. And they on their website, they lay it out real thick. Of like, hey, this is what every potential piece of the property that 
that you're going to have what we expect it to look like. This is what the walls need to look like. This is what the toilets need to look like uh, in terms of condition, uh, working good condition, fair working order. You know, this is what the floors this is, what the landscape, yada, yada, yada. So they make it very clear when you sign up again, it, it's not a lengthy process. You know, it, you sign up. It's more so just a waiting game of waiting to be put into the system in Chicago land area. Cause that once they're trying to push you into the system, you know, you could be a 60 day wait, but once you're in the system, you're good. Um, so it's not a long or lengthy process at all. It's not hard. Again, you just have to be committed to being a, a good person and or being a good landlord. Yeah, Ashley, I know things are always complicated in New York. So is it the same process or is it? Yeah, it's in <laughs> like you have to follow their guidelines as to how they want the apartment to be like it has to be habitable. But really, your their expectations aren't that high. So it's not like you need to go in and put granite or put a ton of money into your property. But if you are not meeting their inspection requirements, then you probably need to do these improvements to your property anyways, because they're so standard. It's so basic. And you don't want to be a slumlord. <laughs> yes. so, and they come and they inspect the property yearly, too. I have worked with one other a different county than uh, Erie County that Buffalo is in. And that county will actually sometimes do like three-month inspections for one of the the programs they have. And so it's like they make sure that the resident is taking care of the property too. They're not just looking at that the landlord is, you know, keeping up on repairs and stuff like that. But um, you can, they'll do listings for you too. So if you want, once you become approved, you can, anytime you get a vacancy, you just, in Buffalo, you just fill out a form and you email it to a guy that works at the housing authority and he'll upload it into their database. And that way all of the caseworkers see it, get access to it. And they bring you somebody that's already pre-approved for their voucher and they know how much they can afford. Yeah. And I do want to say, make sure I uh, say two things about section eight as well. Like I said, if it ever gets to a point where, let's say, they had a part-time job and they can't afford to pay their portion, like like when COVID hit, Section 8 stepped in and said, all right, we're going to cover 100% of your, your rent now. Uh, so that I've had that happen where one tenant, she lost her job during COVID, and they said, all right, we're now covering 100% immediately. So it's about also making sure that they know that they had a benefit as well if, if, their in, if their income goes down, that they have the benefit of covering it. And as well, I think as Tony mentioned too, as well is those section eight tenants as well, they can lose that voucher if they don't protect it. So it's about making sure that they are doing the things that they need to do and being the appropriate, uh, good tenant as well. We actually had a situation as a police officer. It was a section eight tenant who was driving us crazy at work. And we found out that she was on section eight. And all we did was make one phone call uh, about her issue that she was having, how we were repeatedly showing up there as the police. And they gave her official warning and it just instantly ceased. She became a model tenant. Uh, she came a model tenant. We never had the police, never showed up to her house again. So it was great. It's almost like having a, a mom or dad to to supervise <laughs> a resident. And I was just telling Tony the story how the one time um, a mom co-signed for her daughter who's moving out of the house for the first time and the daughter stopped paying rent. And so I contacted the mom who had co-signed and I said, hey, I will give you cash for keys if you get your daughter out of the property and have her leave. And I actually wrote the mom the check instead of the daughter who was the actual tenant. <laughs> Love that story. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So, Martin, one thing I'm really interested in, and I'm sorry, everybody, but I like to use this show for my own benefit, but I want to learn more about auctions. So you purchased this property at auction. Can you kind of give us like a step-by-step breakdown as to how you even find a, an auction in your area and what that whole process looks like? Yeah, so we were using uh, we were using a couple of different auction sites. Auction.com is the first one that jumps out to me immediately. And uh, they happen to... Uh, advertise on the MLS as well, too. So as we're scanning Zillow, the MLS, whatever listings that we have popping up for us, we'll see these properties and it, it will say in the description, go to auction.com, bid on this property, yada, yada, yada. So that's immediately what we did. We will go to auction.com, create a profile, and it will tell you about the uh, applicable fees that go with, uh, you know, trying to purchase this property if you went, if you're the winning bid. And so I've actually purchased a couple of properties off of auction. That first one, 
we were the winning bid at 29.5. So it was pretty simple there. And they make you find all, sign all types of disclosures and they give you a warranty deed. I know that's a big one too. It's like, hey, am I going to have to worry about any type of hidden liens that pop back up? No, we didn't have to worry about that because they gave us a warranty deed at the end of it. So that that was great. And is that something that they only do for some properties? Right. In, in my experience, it's, it's been all of my properties in which they gave us a warranty deed. Now, each auction could be different. You know, there always could be some hidden liens that pop up. I don't want to say it's for all properties across the board. For every property that we've purchased across the board, they, they've always given us a warranty deed and all the liens that if, if there were any outside of the mortgage were wiped out. And you said that for this property, you got to walk through it before. What about the other ones? Um, did you buy any sight unseen? Uh, no, I, I didn't buy any site unseen. All, all the properties that I bought off auction, they gave us access to, which was great. And do you use a realtor for that? I've seen I've seen the auction.com website and played around on it. And I see that they have like realtors can sign in for an access code. Yes, yes. Actually, I went and got my real estate license uh, after after I bought my first townhouse. So I was like, I, I just kind of just want to be able to go when I want to go. I don't want to have to wait on a realtor. Again, that's that's my control issue is I'm like, hey, I don't want to wait on a realtor. I just want to go see the property when I want to go see it. I want to be able to negotiate directly with the seller, which I was able to negotiate some what I think is great deals at times and get the seller down. So uh, again, that's just me being a control freak. <laughs> Okay, so then for the auction, you put a deposit down, correct? Once you win that bid, you have how long is it before you have to? Is it a credit card payment? Do they you have to wire them cash? How does that work? And then how long is it usually until you actually have to provide the cash funds? So we wired the money in. It's usually you put the deposit down, whatever the required deposit amount. Sometimes it's 10 percent. Sometimes it's more or less, depending on what that particular auctioneer said that you have to do. And from there, they start working on the paperwork on the back end. And so they'll tell you, hey, we're ready for you to close on this property. How much more time do you need? <laughs> and so that's exactly what happened. So the first one was like, hey, we're ready when you are. And we closed right away. And then it was another one in which I got in which I was like, uh, you know what? I'm actually kind of refinancing on one property. So let me close uh, extra three weeks later. And they was like, OK, yeah, that's not a problem. I was like, wonderful. All right, good. So I didn't know so that they just, gave you that much flexibility at auction. Like I, I thought it was like a, a tighter timeline. So that, that's like a really good tip for people that might want to buy for auction. That there's that flexibility there. Yeah. All you got to do is ask because sometimes they'd be like, all right, we're ready. And I was like, oh, I'm not ready. You mind if I get an extra 30 days? It was like, it was like, oh, we, you know, they'll give you, you know, whatever time frame that you guys negotiate on, you know, as long as it's not too strenuous uh, or too egregious, you know, they'll give it to you. Any other advice you want to give to rookies who maybe want to try the auction route, especially buying through an online website? Yeah. Like I said, I I think being able to go and see those properties was really a game changer. Like I said, I was able to use cash uh, or from the HELOC, you know, the HELOC has been great. You know, it's just like cash, you know, you literally just go to the bank and say, give me X amount of funds. And, and, and we were able to wire it in. So I would definitely say if you can get access to those properties, you know, you know, that's a game changer because you can actually physically walk the property, know what you're getting yourself into versus having this by sight unseen, especially for a rookie when you when you're first uh, trying to buy your first couple of deals. Well, that's great. Uh, thank you, Martin. Yeah, so many good mm-hmm. things, man. Like the buying yeah. from the auction, you're using the bird strategy, like you're taking a lot of these kind of cool and unique strategies and, and you're leveraging them to, to build a pretty big portfolio so far, man. So, so kudos again to you, brother. And you got your real estate license. You. We can't forget that too. But real quick, before, <laughs> yeah. before we move on to our mindset segment, I want to know, how are you managing these properties? Are you outsourcing that? You're doing that in-house in your Excel spreadsheets, any kind of software for that? What does your property management look like? So I'm using Cozy.co. Uh, so I'll take all the phone calls. I could probably be a walking advertisement for some of your sponsors because I've also used Tressa as well. Tressa has been great, especially when I've been trying to rent out some of these newer properties that I got, like literally one of these uh, properties for the three bedroom, a newer three bedroom townhouse that I got. Again, we rehabbed it. And in the first two days, you know, we had 76 calls and I'm like, Oh my goodness! If I if I didn't have Tresser, I would have my phone would have just been blowing up crazy, and so I would, I'm able to see all the analytics and the data via Tressa, how many people are calling. And I just set up automated messages to say, you know, thank you for your interest in this property. If you would like to schedule a viewing, this is how you can do it. At this time, we're only doing virtual showings. Or if you're looking for the requirements, because you have a lot of people who don't want to read what's in the listing, even though I put in the listing what the requirements are. And I'll say, 
the requirements are the listing as follows. And, you know, and then again, Trust records everything so I can go through and I can hear where people are dropping out at. So they'll listen to the recording. And after it says required 600 credit score, hang up, you know, I'm like, okay, they didn't have 600 credit score. I guess, I guess I know what their problem was or it's say, Oh, criminal, uh, background check required hang up. I'm like, okay, I guess I know what their issue was, you know? So I think those have been great in terms of helping me uh, manage the properties is just again me on the back end and because we rehab the property so well you know i don't have a whole lot of maintenance calls you know so i think that's been great as well too it's, so it's cozy it's tressa uh, i use dot loop for uh, electronic signatures you know those are all great things that i that i use to help me get the things done google sheets again for again just managing what the tenant is paying what expenses came up for that particular property uh looking at what the budget is for CapEx and vacancy, you know, so again, I can do that from anywhere. You know, I can be out and about upload on my phone and just pull out my Google phone, uh, spreadsheet app from my phone and just put it all in, which is great. So with the, you doing the property management, when you have partners, are you paying yourself a percentage or a fee or that is part of your partnership interest in the deal? That is part of my partnership interest. That's, that's one of my duties and responsibility. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your deal with us and all about auctions and your property management system. So let's uh, let's move on to our mindset segment. So once you've started, you know, investing into real estate before you started, can you like think back and did the expectations live up to reality? What you thought it was going to be, what you thought it was going to bring you? Is that happening or has it vastly exceeded that or been a huge disappointment. <laughs> uh, I would say my mindset going in again, you, you never really know what to expect. You, you can kind of project out what you hope that you can gain from it. Uh, but mostly I would say it's been a kind of a roller coasters of up, ups and downs. And so I, I'm kind of in between where I'm like, hey, you know, there's been some surprises and good and bad, you know. So in terms of mindset of what my expectation was, I would say specifically, I, I, I didn't go in too high and I didn't go in too low. It just kind of went in with the worker's mindset of, all right, you know what? This is going to be a challenge. It's going to be something new that you've never done, but you have to be willing to embrace the challenge, embrace the surprises and, and grind your way through it. What what resources did you use to, to kind of help get yourself ready to make that first actual investment? I know you said you had your family behind you. Was it just books? Was it just podcasts? Or was it something else that, that kind of helped you get mentally ready to take that leap? We could play honest with you. I would say life kind of prepares you, you know, little small victories that you have in life, whether it's, you know, getting that first job that you were so nervous about that it took six months to finally employer call you back and say, hey, you're the candidate that we want over all these other candidates. You know, small wins like that really builds the mindset of, hey, you know what, I can do this. I can succeed in, in this world that we're living in. But specifically in terms of learning what I needed to learn, 1000%, I would say it was the Bigger Pockets podcast. I literally, when I when I really realized that I didn't know what I didn't know and that could hurt me big time, I realized that I needed to go through and listen to every podcast that I could possibly listen to, specifically starting with the Bigger Pockets podcast. So they were on episode, I want to say 248 at the time. And I went back to episode one. And I listened from episode one to episode 75 before I was really confident that, all right, you know what, I, I, I can repeat these terms and phrases about real estate investing backwards and forth. I can have an intelligent conversation with someone. Now I'm ready to to do this. I, I love that approach, right? Because that's something that I say all the time is that, you know, you, you obviously want to educate yourself before you buy your first investment property, right? Like no one advocates kind of going into this recklessly. But if you get to the point where you, like you said, you know these terms like the back of your hand. Every podcast episode you hear isn't really new information anymore. It's kind of a regurgitation of the, the systems and processes that you know, or it's just a slight spin on it. Once you get to that point, then you're probably ready to do that first deal, right? Like if you can listen to a podcast and you know 80% of what's being said, then it's probably time for you to get that first deal done. And it sounds like you were self-aware enough to have that realization to say, I think I'm mentally ready. Now let's go out and take the actual action. Yes. Yes, absolutely. All right. Awesome. So we're going to take you to um, our next segment here. It is the rookie request line. So this is where anybody can call in, uh, leave us a voicemail at one 5 rookie 
and just let us know who you are, where you're from, and what question you have, and we may play it on the show for a guest to answer. So, Martin, are you ready? Yes. Hey, guys. This is Doug from Reno, Nevada. I just purchased my first place in December 2020, two-bed townhouse that I'm house hacking. I'm not sure if it'll be a long-term hold for 20, 30 years as I don't love HOAs and the townhouse concept. And when I move out, more of a base hit than a home run deal. So I'm trying to understand why and or when the stack philosophy might make more sense than just living in a house hack for two out of five years to avoid capital gains tax, especially if I sell near-term five, ten years instead of having the townhouse as a long-term buy and hold. Trying to understand for the stack is the concept that you're treating each of those properties as long-term buying holds, so you're not as worried about living in them for a couple of years. Appreciate your insight, and thanks for your time. If you could rent it out, then go ahead and rent it out. If the association is not going to allow you to rent it out, then you kind of force your hand on what you're going to do. I mean, essentially, you're going to need some place to live. So if you're going to do the stack model in terms of, hey, I'm going to move to a duplex and then live in that one, then I think your answer is kind of clear that you kind of got to sell that property in order to keep growing and then use the next property as your true investment property. But in order, you kind of already house hacking right now. So I think it's a great idea to continue to house hack. And when you're ready to move on to your next investment property, whether you take equity out of that property and continue to live in that one, or you decide to just go ahead and completely rent that one out and, and no longer house hack. So Martin, can you define what the, what the stack philosophy is for those that haven't heard of it? What does that mean? Yeah. So it's coined by the great Brandon Turner, where he talks about you start with one investment, uh, let's say a a one unit of property of some sort. It can be a house. It can be a condo townhouse. And then from there you you buy two, it can be a duplex. It can be two individual properties. And from there you keep stacking to four to, to eight to 16 and so on and so forth. Got it. And, And is that kind of what you're using in your portfolio you feel where you've kind of scaled in that similar fashion? No, me personally, I, I would say that my philosophy on what I've done with my portfolio is, I, I, again, I'm a big systems guy. So I actually read the book Traction and Traction talks about, you know, defining this 10 year plan. And I went through and said, all right, in 10 years, this is how many properties or how many doors that I want to do. And this is how much cash flow I want to make. And so for me, what I've done is I just said, all right, every year I'm going to buy two doors. And me personally, I'm kind of an overachiever. So I'm like, if I buy more than two, that's great. You know, so that's kind of what I've done is I just said, all right, every year I'm going to buy two two properties, two doors and, and keep going and scaling from there. And so, you know, that, that's been my plan and my goal. Awesome, brother. Awesome. Well, I love your advice there. Hopefully the listeners got some value out of hearing that as well. I want to take us to our one of our final segments, which is the random question segment. This is where we get to know you a little bit more. Um, and kind of pick your brain about the the world of real estate investing. Um, so I'll go first. I think my question is about your strategy. So you said that you've kind of focused in on townhomes. Is that the building type that you think you're going to stick with? Or do you have plans to scale to or or not scale, but I guess change to some other type of building? And if you're sticking with townhomes, what is it about townhomes that you like so much? Yeah. So for me, townhomes, I, I felt like they were undervalued in a neighborhood that I were buying in. Like I said, you can on the same block that I bought my first townhouse, there was a condo that had sold for two hundred thousand. And so I'm like, wait, you got a condo that sold for two hundred thousand. But the maximum ARV of these townhouses are seventy five, eighty, one hundred thousand. And I'm like, you know, to me, it's it's no difference. You know, once you decorate uh, you decorate it on the inside. And they're both going to rent for the same dollar amount. You know, if you if you paint it, if you put granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, hardwood floors, two bedroom condo versus a two bedroom townhouse. Some people even like a townhouse more than they like a condo because you don't have anyone living above or below you. I, I was like, you know what? This is an undervalued asset. Let me take this asset, develop it. And so that's been my philosophy with the townhouses. Like, hey, let me find, you know, the, the cheaper house on a very nice block and and develop it and and let it cash flow now i just want to point out like what you're doing is you said i know the market that i want to invest in but let me find the right strategy and niche for that market and you found out that like you said townhomes are an undervalued asset that fit my strategy that fit my niche so let me go all in on that So, you know, we talk about this all the time about you can't do certain things in certain markets, right? Like you can't uh, probably doesn't make a ton of sense to do traditional single family home 
uh, long-term rentals in Southern California, but it makes sense to flip in Southern California. And it sounds like you found kind of what that sweet spot is in your market. So for the listeners, whatever market you're in, there's probably a strategy or niche that you can employ to make real estate investing make sense. You just have to take the time and be familiar enough with your market to know what that is. So man, I, I just love that you shared that. I want to point that out for the listeners. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, so Martin, you have 16 units. You have to at least have one funny or crazy story related to the property or to a tenant. Do you have one you can share with us? Oh, I got a bunch. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's so much has happened that I, I kind of take it for granted. You, you know, the things that happen, I'm, I kind of just kind of gloss over them like, yeah, that happened. We got through it. <laughs> and here we are today. Uh, for example, the, the very first time that I became a real uh, a realtor, I went and showed a property. I went and showed a multi-unit building and I got my son with me and we're walking through this property and I'm not thinking nothing of it. I'm kind of just oblivious and which I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say being a, a cop. But we walk into this first apartment and I'm looking around and next thing you know, a lady pops her head out the door and I'm like, uh, who are you? Who are y'all? I'm the realtor showing the property. Who are you? Oh, I didn't know that this property was vacant. Uh, nobody told me that. Three more of the ladies come out of this room and they all scurry out of the property. And I walk into the room that they were in. And of course, there's all type of drug paraphernalia and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, my God. Are you serious? And I'm, I'm telling my son, this is why I'm always when we walk into these uh, properties that we show and I'm always on you to make sure you stay on my hip because you never know who's in these properties. So, you, you know, that's one crazy one. It was another one where I love my father to death. I, I, I love him to death. But sometimes he, he overlooks things. And so I, I'm telling him, I'm like, we have the situation where the lockbox uh, or the the mailbox is just not working. It, we're trying to get it open. We can't get it open. I'm telling them, like, all right, check all the keys. Because when we brought this six-unit property, it came with 50 keys and a Crown Royal bag. I'm like, okay. I've dealt with uh, that before. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? It's like, all right, Crown Royal bag is never used for anything but Crown Royal, right? So I'm like, all right, just check all the keys. Make sure we do not have a key to this mailbox. Because I'm calling the post office. The post office is uh, having issues where... They, they're short staffed. They're not having anybody going out and delivering mail. And when they do deliver mail, it's an overtime assignment. And so we can't consistently get someone to come out and open up this mailbox so we can change out the lock. And so I had a buddy. The great thing about policing is you, you kind of meet people of all different backgrounds that become a police officer. And he was a locksmith. And so I'm in my uh, office and I'm like, hey, I need you to teach me how to do your locksmith skills. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got you. And so he's teaching me how to pick the lock and stuff like that. And and we're playing around on my office desk. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I could do this. I could think I could do this. So I'm popping the office desk open and I'm like, all right, I got it. I got it. So the very next day I go to the property and I'm working on a mailbox and I'm trying to get it open and I'm trying to get it open. Finally, the tools break and I'm like, oh no. And so I asked my father again, I was like, are you sure you checked all the keys and make sure he's like, yeah, yeah, I checked them. I was like, well, let me see the keys. So he goes into the bag, pulls out the key labeled the apartment unit number and opens up the mailbox. And I'm like, really, <laughs> really? <laughs> Are, are you kidding me? He's like, I, I swore to you, I checked the bag. I checked the bag. I was like, you couldn't have checked. The, it's labeled the unit number on it. How did how did you miss this? So, oh my goodness. So literally, just stories like that, where literally my father's like, I promise you, I checked it. I checked it, and then I go behind him and check it, and and and, and we find it. I'm like, oh my goodness. But I think every real estate <laughs> investor has crazy stories like that, right? Or or they have some story where it shows that there's always going to be some kind of challenge. There's always going to be some kind of obstacle. Nothing's going to be as clean and cut and easy as you want it to be. But that's why you're successful as a real estate investor, because you persist past those things. You continue to do the things even when they get hard. And, and that's how you find financial success. So thank you for illustrating that for us and, and giving us a funny story about your dad in the in the making. Oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> so, Martin, where can people find out some more information about you or get in touch with you? Well, I'm always on Bigger Pockets in the forums. Um, I'm on the Facebook groups. I'm in the Bigger Pockets Money, Bigger Pockets Rookie. Uh, I'm in the original OG show uh, podcast, or I'm in the, uh, the the Facebook group as well. You can reach me there. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I prefer you actually reach out to me on Instagram. That 
pages specifically dedicated to my real estate journey. So I'm, I'm there in Martin REI, uh, or excuse me, Martin Neal REI. What else? Um, I try to do a little bit on LinkedIn. I'm trying to get into these other platforms, but really Instagram and Facebook is, is, is the social platforms for me as well. And again, the forms I'm on there as well, trying to give advice. Uh, I'm a little shy at times because I'm like, oh, it's already got 46 comments. You know, I, I, should I really add 47 to you know, be that 47 person adding a comment. But, you know, I, I try to give my input and my two cents as well. Well, I think a lot of people will take value from your input. So definitely don't be shy <laughs> to add a comment. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, Martin, uh, for joining us. Before we close out today, we want to give a shout out to this week's Rookie Rockstar. So this is Lily Kay, and she just closed on her sixth deal it's actually a college house, and it has been for 17 years. So she said there's lots to clean, uh, but she is going to burr the property and is looking for inspiration on how to rehab it. So if you guys want to go to the show notes at biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie 71, um, we'll attach a link to the Facebook post and you guys can give uh, Lily some inspiration there on what she should do with the rehab. So yeah, again, thank you, Martin, for joining us today. We had a great time and took a lot of value away from your your information and your story. Oh, thank you so very much. Thank you again so very much for having me. I really do appreciate it, guys. Thank you so very much. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals, and he's Tony Robinson at Tony J. Robinson. Thank you, guys. And don't forget to listen to The Rookie Reply on Saturday. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.